John chapter 14 together. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. I pray that you would quicken us, that you would make us alive, that we would, that we would hear what you're saying to us today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh, passage starts out by saying, if you love me, uh, keep my commandments. Or some translations say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And uh, in connection with this, and in connection with loving Jesus and obeying his commands, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who read this passage and say, keeping Jesus' commands is how you prove you love him. Because the truth of the matter is, actions, uh, words are important, but actions are much louder than words. When it gets right down to it, Jesus told a parable of a man who had two sons. And he went to one of them and said, uh, go and work in the field today. And the son said, yes, sir, I'll do that. And then he went to the next one and he said, go and work in the field today. And the son said, no, I, I don't want to do that. But later on, both of them changed their minds. The one who said, yes, I'll go and work, decided to not go. And the one who said, no, I'm not going to go work, did end up going. Which one obeyed his father? Yeah, the, 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 one who actually, the one who actually went. So actions do speak louder than words. There's no question about that. The second group of people would look at this passage and say, well, loving Jesus is the only way to keep his commands. And I kind of, I kind of lean toward this, uh, toward this group because he didn't say, if you keep my commands, you love me. There are a lot of people who are, are keeping commands, not because they love Jesus, but because they're, they're scared of him. And I, and I, I don't, you know, as, as a father, I, I love my kids and, I want, and I, want them, I want them to do what I tell them to do, but I, want them, I don't want them to be scared of me. I, I want them to love me. And so that's why I'm so soft and cuddly and <laughs> kind-hearted. Love is a powerful motivator. It's the most powerful motivator that there is. Held Jesus to the cross. Both of these groups of people, however, are right. Both of them are, are correct because uh, you, can't, you can't keep Jesus' commands without loving him. That's the motivation. That's where the power and the strength comes from. And actions do speak louder than words. You can say, oh, I love Jesus and, and just totally ignore everything he's told you to do. And you know what? You don't love him. You're just saying words. So both of these groups are right. However, the, the object of both is very clearly 
It's very clearly love, and it's not, you know, the warm, fuzzy, cuddly stuff, although it can be that at times. It's agape love. It's, it's chosen. It's, it's choices. It's what we decide to do, choices that we, choices that we make, the unconditional love that God has. Um, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one, love your neighbor as yourself. The new commandment. Uh, I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. I detect a pattern here. And the pattern is, is love, which is the fulfillment of the law. So if you don't love, then you have not and you cannot carry out his commands. It's that simple. When we love him, obeying comes as easily as thinking about your sweetheart. Uh, but we're not often necessarily pushed in the direction or motivated in the direction of loving him. When I was a kid, we used to have this uh, quaint tradition in our church. And the tra tradition was that they would teach the little kids choruses. And then we'd get up on Sunday morning in front of the church and sing for everybody, all, all the little kids. With them. Normally, normally we had motions to the choruses. Uh, uh, I, I'm too small to march in the infantry. No, in my age, it was fly over Germany. <laughs> yeah. One of the choruses that they taught us, though, that I've ruminated on since, was, uh, was, a, was a course called Echo. Anybody? Probably not, because even Barbie didn't know it. Yeah. But she's younger than me. Uh, but the chorus went this way. Echo, echo, echo. Echo is my name. I go wherever children go and always say the same. Echo, echo, echo. Remember I am near. And never say a word you don't want Christ to hear. Now, you know, there are things about that, that that's okay. Uh, even as a child, though, I often wondered, why doesn't Echo follow adults around? Why is it just children that he's after and messing with? And, and the honest truth is that uh, that song did not make me, did not make the thought of Jesus being near me a comforting thought. Because he might hear something that he doesn't like. And even if he's not near me, that darn echo is going to tell on me, <laughs> tell Jesus what I've said. As I've gotten older, I've, I've learned to love Jesus and want him near. Want, want to be close to him because, yeah, you know, every now and then I might, you know, say shoot or darn or something that Jesus wouldn't like, but I can't get him to go away because he loves me so much. He just seems to want to be there. Wow. And the truth of the matter is, we all want to be loved. We all want to belong. When I, when I sit down to plan a series or... In this case of this year, it was basically almost a whole year of sermons because we were going through the book of John. When I do that, 
normally, especially if it's several months out, I'll, I'll just I'll look at different passages and see what jumps out at me. And I'll, I'll put a placeholder title, if you will, there. And then, uh, you know, and I'll also see which things I want to give to Barbie because I don't want to mess with that. Uh, but, uh, or, or quite frankly, most of the time it's because I know she'll, she'll do a better job with this. This is what, this is what the Lord's saying to you, give to Kevin. Or, but anyway, I'll, uh, um, I'll do that. And then oftentimes, especially if it's been several months out, we'll get close to it and I'll go, uh, uh, no, that's not what it's really saying to me right now. So I need, to, I need to change this a little bit. And so months ago, I looked at this passage, and of course I've known the passage very well, and there's a lot in it, but what really jumped out at me was simply the phrase, I will not leave you as orphans. And I've, I've always been able to just hear the passion in Jesus' voice. Because he knows he's getting ready to go away, and he knows that they're going to feel abandoned when he does and as we as you know as we got close to it not only was that what was still jumping out at me it was what was was what was getting louder and so uh jesus said i I, not only was he not abandoning them and, and i know that but, but he, he had prepared for them. He was, he was making preparations for them. And, and it wasn't just a matter of, I'm going to go prepare a home for you so that someday you can come and be with me. That's important. That's, that's very important. But he said, I've made provision for you right now for when I'm gone. It's the spirit of truth. He's going to come and, and live with you. And that's the, that's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth. The Spirit of God, anytime you hear any of those phrases, it all refers to the same person. And he is a person. He's not some nebulous thing out there. He he is a personality. You say, well, everybody knows that all those are the same. No, everybody does now and here because I just put it up there. But not everybody necessarily knows that. Sometimes it gets confusing. But but that's that's the same person. He says, I prepared for somebody to come along and stand with you. The world cannot accept him. Because it doesn't see him and it doesn't know him. I'm going to put a verse up here that I've, I've used several times recently, but I just feel like it's so important. It's 1 John 2:16. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Um, later on, John goes on to tell us that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And since we're kind of in fairly constant contact with the world, I think it's important for us to recognize it and know what it is. Well, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's all that it is. And I don't see the Holy Spirit listed there. So the world can't see Him. And the world doesn't know who He is. doesn't know Him. So they, the world cannot receive Him. Only those, only those who belong to Christ. But the the word that jumps out at me here, and the reason why I wanted to bring this one up, uh, and there's a lot to jump out at, but the word that jumps out at me is Father. None of these things come from the Father, but there are a lot of good things that do. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, whom there is no shadow of turning. Jesus taught us to pray our father we we have a father 
We're not orphans. You are not an orphan. You, you belong. You are a, a son of his house. You are a daughter of, of his house. You're not some uh, slave. You're not a servant. You're not an outsider pretending to belong and pretending to fit in. And all of us want a place to belong. And with this, I want to shift into my Barbie Laughlin mode and get personal for a little while. Uh, because it, it's, it put me in mind of thinking of a lot of things. You know, I mean, as, as a pastor and as somebody who gets up and, and speaks in front of people real often and everything, it's pretty easy to, you know, look at somebody who does that and go, oh, well, you, you don't struggle with some of the things I struggle with. You know, you don't, you don't have some of the issues that, and I'm not talking about sin issues. I'm talking about, well, you'll see where we're going. Uh, I grew up in, in Millersville, Tennessee. And uh, Millersville is a little town of 300 up north of, uh, north of Goodlettsville, which is north of Nashville. And, you know, by the time you have to get to north of something that is north of something, you're, you're out there. That's for sure. And... Uh, I remember when I first went to. Uh, I remember when I first went to MTSU. Uh, the uh, I didn't go there my freshman year. I went to another school and I transferred there my sophomore year. Now, when you go somewhere your freshman year, everybody, everybody. Well, not, not everybody, but all the freshmen. There's a whole bunch of people around going, Duh, you know. So you you kind of fit in because you're one of the you're one of the swivel heads walking around campus going, you know where. Where is this? You know, how do I find that? But when you, when you transfer someplace, all of the other relationships have already clicked, and you're kind of like, where do I fit? Where do I belong? And, and I transferred there to, to, do the theater, to go to the theater department. But, you know, those people in the theater department knew each other. And, and for, the, for the whole first semester, I didn't, I didn't go out for anything. I didn't audition. For, I didn't even move down there until... Uh, late in the semester because I didn't, I didn't know anybody. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't sure that I was going to fit here. Wasn't, wasn't sure that if I was going to be accepted or if I was going to belong. When I came back to the Lord in my mid-20s, uh, a lot of you, if you've heard my testimony at all, a lot of you realize that I actually came back to the Lord. And I, and I, I would say get saved, but I think I got saved when I was six. But I, you know, reconnected with the Lord when I was 25 in my, in my Volkswagen Beetle on the interstate. So that's where that happened. But I'm, but I'm thinking, okay, I, gotta, I need to go to church now. And I'd never been to Hendersonville First Assembly of God. And, uh, but I went, I, I'm going to go there. And the reason why I went there is because that's where Larry Case went. And I grew up with Larry Case. And I knew somebody. And, and I knew that I would not be alone when I, when I went in there. And I remember going that Sunday morning, and they, uh, uh, they, had, a, they had a pastor who was really fond of altar calls. And he gave one of those, we're going to tarry until altar calls. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to keep giving the altar call until somebody comes down here and, and responds to my sermon. And... Uh, I was a hero that morning because I was up immediately. Those people got to eat lunch before the Baptist that, that, that Sunday because I was, yeah, on my feet. And I remember, 
I had not seen Larry before that. I knew he was there, but I hadn't seen him. And I remember after the, Sunday, after the service was over, Larry coming up to me and, and embracing me and a smile on his face. And, and it was just like, yes, somebody. I, I belong here. I, I'm, I'm connected here. And I, I, really, I really needed it. I mentioned a few weeks ago about the first time I went to the Lord's Chapel, so I won't re- recover all that ground, but it was like, you know, man, all these people know each other, and, and I'm, not, I'm not connected. And then when I was courting Margaret, as I said, I lived in Millersville. Now, you've heard Barbie talk about uh, Cofield and Petros and all those places up in East Tennessee. Yeah, Millersville is the East Tennessee of Middle Tennessee. And that, that, was, that was where I grew up. Margaret lived in Brentwood. <laughs> now, you know, it wasn't, Brentwood wasn't Brentwood in those days, but it was Brentwood. And uh, she was from Brentwood, and, and, and her dad was from an established Nashville family that had been in in, in, in the town a long time, and I was from Millersville. And uh, many of you know that we, uh, you know, we got, we got engaged after eight days uh, of, of dating and, uh, and knowing each other. And, you know, so it, somehow, I, in some ways, it didn't quite seem real. And, uh, I mean, he's, I, mean I, I lived at the foot of a hill. She lived at the top of a hill. And, you know, they, they ate strange foods that I, that I didn't think I liked, but love is a strong, motivating factor. You know, you begin to, you know, eat some of those foods and kind of go, ooh, this is good. And, uh, but I remember one night we had, I, we'd gotten crossways with each other about something. I, I have no idea what it was. But I remember leaving her house, and I remember how I felt, and it was like, what am I, who, who do I think I am? What, what, what do I think I'm doing? I am so far out of my league. This is going to all go away. It, it's not, I'm going to get a call in the morning and go, oh, well, I've changed my mind, or this isn't, you know, isn't going to happen. You know, and I, and I, seriously, I was, it was a 35, 40 minute drive home and the whole way it was like just killing me inside because I didn't really feel like I belonged. Now, fortunately, Margaret knew what she had. Okay, that was a joke. You do know that, right? <laughs> but you know, and her parents are loving, sweet people. It took me years to feel like I wasn't a visitor. It took, took me years to feel like I wasn't just, oh, that guy that is with Margaret. And then I really belonged. I was really a part of it. And that, that sense of belonging and the sense of loss when it's not there is so acute in all of us. 
And I want to share, if you've been here for years, you may have heard this, but it's been quite a few years since I shared about it. The worst, I want to share about the worst moment in my life. Uh, it took place in Johannesburg, uh, South Africa, at the, uh, at the Oriental Plaza. And the Oriental Plaza is, um, uh, just try to give you a sense of it. I mean, imagine um, Cool Springs and only make it about half the size, that it, make all the stores about half the size they are and do away with the, with the big stores and scrunch them all together and then take about six of those and put them around next to each other and then put the biggest flea market you've ever seen in between all of them. That was, that was Oriental Plaza. And after we had uh, moved to Zimbabwe, we uh, a few months later got visas to go to South Africa, and we were real excited because we were going to get to shop. And, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, you're, uh, you know, we're going to buy PlayStations or anything like that. I mean, you know, you, you, there was a lot of stuff you really couldn't get uh, in South Africa, I mean, in, in Zimbabwe at that time. Uh, you know, some spices and some shoes, some kind of, you know, and uh, good quality, uh, soft toilet paper. Uh, <laughs> things, things like that. And uh, so, you know, we were excited about going there. And we got to the, we got to the place and uh, we got to the place and Margaret wanted to go shoe shopping. Okay. So Margaret and, uh, and, and three-year-old Arwen go off shoe shopping and, and Ronnie and six-year-old Isaac go off looking for good stuff. And, uh, and this was Isaac. Uh, when he was six. That's the obligatory first day of school picture. It's made of him there. He's my boy. And uh, so Isaac and I go off, and we're, we're somewhere in this, in this jumble, a spider web of things, and there's a kiosk that had toys in it, and uh, and we were kind of looking at some of the toys. And then over here, there was a, a, um, another kiosk with some posters and stuff. And I, and I stepped over here to look at some of the posters for a moment. Probably 90 seconds. And I turned around and he was gone. Now, this was the mid-80s in South Africa. And a lot of you probably wouldn't know this, but it was a very tense atmosphere at that time because of apartheid and the things that were going on there and I and I turned around and, and he was gone and I went okay now where you know where'd that boy get to uh, but he wasn't anywhere in the vicinity and I, you know I walked all the way I thought well he's on the other side of the kiosk walked all the way around the kiosk no it's not there ask the lady in the kiosk have you seen a, a little boy a little blonde-headed boy about about this tall uh, maybe around no so I start looking over the, there were uh, some stairs right there, and I start looking over to see if I see him down there anywhere, and I don't see him anywhere. And I'm beginning to get very tense. I'm beginning to think, um, okay, uh, what do I do? I mean, I, I pray, yeah, I'm praying, but what, what do I do? Uh, so I go, is there, you know, surely they've got an office or something. Maybe there's somewhere where some kind of announcement can be made or, or something like that. And you've got to understand this place has each of, each of these little, it's impossible. I mean, they have, they have innumerable exits going out all kinds of different directions. 
And I see Nessa back there shaking her head because she she's, knows what I'm talking about. And I'm, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, what? Have I seen my son for the last time? What am I going to tell his mother? What? Can we get our visas extended if, in case we got to stay here and look for him? Uh, and so I finally asked around and found out where the office was and, and go back through the, uh, the, the labyrinth to, to get to that. And when I do, I say, you know, my son, I, I, my son's missing. I, I can't find him. Can you make some kind of announcement or something? Well, in order to make an announcement, you've got to have like, like wires and speakers and, and things. And that wasn't going on. The only thing they could do was give me a, a security guard to go walk with me to try and find him somewhere. And uh, that's the worst moment of my life. I, I, in, in later reflection, you know, I, I think I know somewhat how the father feels when his children stray. His children won't, won't be with him. But, oh. Well, uh, the rest of the story. <laughs> um, Isaac had gone down. He, well, Isaac had turned. Isaac had, had uh, not been paying attention when I, when I turned. I wasn't <laughs> 10 feet from him. But he hadn't been paying attention. And so he looked up and he didn't see me. And he freaked and he took off running. That's what had happened. And he, uh, he got... Uh, he, he was downstairs, and he was sitting on a, on a bench crying. And, this, uh, and a man, we assume it was a man. I was praying. But this man comes along and says, you know, why, you know, why are you crying? He says, well, I've lost my father, and I, I don't know where my mom and uh, my sister are. And he says, well, okay, where, where, what were your mom and sister going to do? Well, they were going to go shoe shopping. He says, well, let's go look for them. Now, you have to understand that these stores are, are about the size of a, a fourth of this platform up here. And the shelves in the, uh, go all the way to the ceiling in each of them. So you can't look in and just see who's in there. you got to go in and you got to be looking right down the right aisle to, to even know if anybody's there. First store they went in. First store they went in. And there were at least 70 or 80 shoe stores in that place. Uh, First one they went in, they, they found them. So as I come walking down the, with my security guard to go and try and find my son somewhere, and it's been probably 45 minutes at this point of just pure agony, uh, the first people we see as we turn out in the hall is Margaret and Arwen and Isaac. And it's just like, <sighs> But now here's the other thing. See, I also know how Isaac felt. Having been a child myself, I could understand how Isaac was feeling, and that was no small part of my pain, because I have been a child. Uh, and here's a secret, and it's a secret basically, you know, I mean, uh, any, any young people I'd like to share with you, uh, because when you're a teenager or, or younger or whatever, it's, you don't really know but every person in the world has a little child who lives in here. And this is mine. <laughs> uh, 
I've always been somewhat dumbfounded um, to hear that, that I tend to intimidate people. Just have been. I understand it. Now, you know, being older and, and everything and, and realizing I'm kind of outgoing, I hate it. But I'll tell you who really doesn't understand it and who really hates it is that guy <laughs> who lives in here. And, and one of, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you teenagers, a secret. Most adults are terrified of teenagers they don't know. They're more scared of, it's like, it's like my, my mom used to say about uh, wasp, well, they're more scared of you than you are of them. Well, I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> adults are more scared of teens than teens are of adults, basically. Because all of us have that little kid in there. Uh, the, the bravest leaders in the, in the church, in my mind, are those who work with children and work with youth because... Because they've got that child, and yet they can't be a part of the group. Because the group's already got its group. They can't mix in with it. They, it seems like they're excluded from the other children. Some, some people compensate it for it by trying to put that child to sleep or trying to pretend like that child's not there. Now, I'm not talking about maturity. You know, you can be, you can be as immature as all get out and, and have that child sound asleep. You know, and you can be very mature and that child's wide awake and, and got it going on. So that, that's not what I'm talking about. But some, some compensate by trying to pretend that that child doesn't exist. Those who have the most peace are, and have become the most beautiful are those who've come to terms with that child and they found a home. Because deep inside, everybody wants a home. Everybody wants to belong. Everybody wants a true father's embrace. Everyone wants to know, I am a child of this house. This is the place where, where I belong. And and in truth, what we're looking for is not a gang, it's not a club, it's not some geeky subculture. We're looking for what Jesus is talking about here. You do know him. He lives in you, will be with you. You do belong. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You're not just a visitor. You're, you're not trying to be a part of the house. You are a part of the house. Over the years, I, I've, been, uh, I've been blessed with having an outgoing personality, sometimes cursed with it, but blessed with having an outgoing personality and and other gifts that have enabled me to belong in social settings where I've, I've uh, been thrust into. But this doesn't require any of that. There, there's, there's none of that. You know, it's not just a matter of, you know, hey, those of, those of you who will come and get it. Uh, no, it's just whoever's weary, heavy laden, come. Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. 
We, we, have, we have a right to be a part of this family. We're written into the will. Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You may not know who your granddaddy was. You may not be able to, to trace that genealogical lineage back very far, but you have a genealogical lineage. And spiritually, it goes straight to Abraham, and you're a part of the family. Not some stranger. Hebrews 2.11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and his sisters. My favorite, boy, it's hard to say because we had some really good ones today. One of my favorite sections of one of the songs that we do sometime, and it's just, every time it's it's gotten hold of me, is the one that goes, I finally found where I belong. I finally found where I belong in your presence. I finally found where I belong just to be with you. And whether I'm in the presence of mine enemies or whether I've got blood relations close around me, I found where I belong. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's offering. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to minister to people come down at at this time. And if you're you're a six-year-old kid sitting on a bench crying because you don't know where your daddy is (laughs) or who he is, uh, this invitation is for you. If you're a part of the family and you know you're a part of the family, but you've got, you've got needs, you've got something that you need prayer for, the promises are yours. You know, this, isn't, this is your house. This is your father that we're talking about. And he longs to hear you. We're going to worship for a few moments. And if, you need to, if you need to come, you come. If you, if you don't need to come, let's, let's enjoy his presence. Let's worship together a little more.
everything that he can to make you feel isolated, to make you feel like you don't belong, to make you feel like you're a stranger. It is a lie. You do belong. I love you guys. Raise your hand. We give you a blessing. For the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world so that many sons and daughters might be brought into glory. May you have the joy and the comfort and the security of knowing his embrace through Jesus Christ our Lord.